Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Book of Philippians is something that is a pretty uh, common book. It's a book that's pretty well known, but it is interesting to see um, just how much you can learn when you actually dive into it. And so that's what we've been trying to do. Um, This will be lesson number six. Uh, We'll be basing it out of uh, the next verses and um, basically talking about finding joy. Uh, has really been the whole point of the book. And so we've tried to give a lot of background. We've tried to give a lot of information as far as why that the context of this book gives us that opportunity. And so as we look at Philippians chapter number 2, we'll begin reading in verse number 19. And tonight's study will take us all the way down through verse number 30. Um, just out of curiosity, how many of you have read through the book of Philippians since we began the study? Anybody? Read through the book? Good, good. Um, pretty quick, easy book to read through, um, but there's also a lot of good, just little golden nuggets. Um, I don't know how many of you mark in your Bible, um, how many of you highlight in your Bible, but the book of Philippians is something that it just seems like every other verse or a phrase in a verse you can highlight or um, underline. And so there's a lot of good, practical, helpful things in this book, but really the book as a whole tries to get us to find our joy in Jesus Christ. And so tonight's Uh, verses that we'll be on are a little bit unique for the book. Um, It's almost more of a character sketch, but if you'll stick with me till the end, I think there's some really great application um, for us from these verses. So you have to stick with me through through to the end, but you'll also have to grasp the introduction. And so um, I know, and I've actually said this the last couple of weeks, I know a lot of times it's easy to sit there and just listen to the points and maybe say, okay, well, I learned that, and you're learning how to outline a book, but there's an application that we have to draw from these verses. Um, If you read the Bible and never apply it, you've missed the greatest uh, purpose that you can have to change your life. And so a lot of times we're guilty of building our head knowledge of Scripture and not necessarily letting it change our heart. And so tonight we're going to seek to accomplish both of those. Philippians chapter number 2. Let's begin reading in verse number 19. The Bible says this, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. If I were you and you do underline in your Bibles, or maybe you just want to highlight on your handout for you to go back and reread, the key verses for this part of our study is going to be those two verses. Um, Typically, when you break up passages of Scripture, there's something that's going to kind of set off the theme or teach us kind of why why he's talking about what he's talking about. And so in these verses, that's what he that's that's something to note. It's also some very powerful verses. When you think about all of the people that Paul knew, all of the people that Paul had met in his life and in his ministry, and for him to be able to say, For I have no man like minded 
who will naturally care for your state. But then he says a very important thing in verse number 21. He says, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. This is still referring to Timothy. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard, ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation." Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. I want you to go back and look at verse number 20 and verse number 21. Let's read those together out loud. Verse number 20. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. For all seek their own. That's a pretty powerful statement. That's something that I think that was not just a problem in Paul's day. I think that if we were honest by just the evidence of our society and our culture right now, we can honestly say that probably now more than ever, all seek their own. Now here's where you and I have to kind of put our antennas up and pay attention, is that while it is natural for the lost to seek their own, it is unnatural for the Christian to seek their own. Not so much that it is unnatural as much as it is not the way to find joy. And as he writes this, here's what he basically lays out. He gives us three examples of how to serve joyfully. Three examples of how to serve joyfully. And we're going to look at all three of those examples tonight. But here's what I want you to see. And as we've said almost every single time that we've walked through one of these lessons and one of these studies, is that joy is found in serving Jesus and serving others. If you are going to seek for joy internally within yourself or by something that you can gain or by something that you can possess or something that you can have, you will miss out on joy. But if you seek to find joy in serving Jesus Christ, then he gives us three great examples of how we can do that. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to look into your word. Lord, we know that your word is perfect, and I know that I do not always present it perfectly. Lord, many times I know that I present it very imperfectly. But God, I ask that you would take my imperfections, and Lord, that you would point us to your perfect word. Lord, I don't know that there is a greater joy in this life than doing something for you that will impact eternity. Yet, Lord, it is also one of the things that I think is so easy to get distracted from. It is something that the world tends to not really support. Lord, that many times our schedule does not support, our way of life does not support. But God, I pray that you would help us to eliminate those distractions. And Lord, that we would find a way to serve you we would find a way to find the joy that can only come from you 
as a result of serving you and doing our best to impact others around us. God, I pray that you would give me the words to say. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we look at these verses tonight, helping to use my time wisely and efficiently, and that we would apply them to our hearts and lives. In your name we pray. Amen. One of the resounding themes throughout this series and really throughout this book has been that joy is found in serving Jesus. We've used some little phrases. We've tried to introduce lessons by proving to you that joy is found in serving Jesus. One of the ones that we used was that joy is, is found in knowing God's will and doing it. Joy is found in knowing God's will and doing it. And when you choose to step back as a Christian and say, I'm not going to do this the, my way. I'm not going to live this life and make it about me. I'm going to make it about Christ and others. That sounds counterproductive in the search for joy, doesn't it? Because most of the time what we hear about finding joy is, well, go and get everything that you want. Go and find everything that you need and everything that will make you happy, and that's how you will find your joy. But Christ, on the other hand, not only taught but also exemplified that joy was not found in what we have or in what we own or what we possess, but joy was found in serving Him and in knowing His will for our lives. And if that is true, then here's what I want you to see. That joy is found in serving Jesus. Okay, now I want you to listen because there's a follow-up statement to that. Joy is found in serving Jesus. Chances are that if you looked at your life right now, most of the unjoyful well, situations and circumstances are a result of trying to please yourself. And maybe if it's not even something that you brought on yourself. Most of the time, that circumstance is the result of someone elevating themselves more than elevating God and His glory. What does the Bible say? That only by pride cometh, what's the next word? Contention. Which means that if there is something contentious in your life, chances are there is pride in your life. If there is a contentious situation between you and someone else, chances are there is pride either or maybe sometimes on both sides of that party as well. And so if we are going to find joy, here's what we have to recognize very early on, is that joy is found in serving Jesus Christ. And if that statement is true... Now, I want you to listen to this because this is coming from someone who I'm, I'm about to address myself here, okay? If joy is found in serving G Jesus, then we shortchange ourselves by saying that only a few people who are called into ministry, only a few people who are called, in, called to preach or called to serve or paid by a church, that joy is only found with those people. I don't think that most of us believe that, but here's what we've got to recognize, is that if serving Jesus is what brings joy, then it shouldn't just be a full-time position. It shouldn't just be, well, I can only serve Jesus if I have this opportunity. No, you can serve Jesus by how you interact with your neighbors. You can serve Jesus by how you interact with your co-workers or with your fellow students or with your family or with your siblings or with other relationships in your life. You have an opportunity to serve Jesus by how you interact with those around you. 
And so don't shortchange yourself as we talk about this by just saying, well, that's just for anybody who works for a church or that's just for anybody who works for or gets to serve in ministry. If serving Jesus truly brings joy, then we should all want to be a part of it. We should all want to be ministers of that. We should all want to be a part of seeing God bring us joy by serving Him faithfully. And so in the passages in, or in the passage that we have before us, and in really these verses, he gives three different examples of how to serve joy and how, or serve God and how to do it joyfully and how to do it the right way. And here's what I want to build into you before we look at these examples, is that as a child of God, Serving Jesus and serving God with your life is the highest calling that you can have. And when I say the highest calling, I'm not talking about being on a payroll at a church. I've said it many times in here that you should not, if you are called to be a lawyer, you should not be a lawyer that just so happens to be a Christian. You should be a Christian that just so happens to be a lawyer. If you're called to be a nurse, you should not be a nurse that just so happens to be a Christian. You should be a Christian that just so happens to be a nurse. And we can go through every single role that we could ever possibly have in this life. And we should be able to say, okay, I am a Christian who just so happens to also do this. And when you begin to change your perspective on that, that I'm not just a student at MTSU who just so happens to be a Christian. No, I am a Christian who is also a student at MTSU. Now your priorities have changed. Now your perspective is not that I'm going to come and I'm going to sit in this classroom and I'm going to try to make straight A's. You should try to make straight A's. But guess what? You should try to make straight A's for the glory of God you should try to make straight A's so that you can have an impact on those around you. You should make, try to make straight A's so that you can have some influence maybe at the university. You should try to do those things, not just so that you get a diploma and you get magna cum laude at the end of your whatever, okay? I already used too many big words at the beginning, so we're, I skipped commencement. It was what was at the end of that sentence, but I spoke Latin at the beginning, so I couldn't get to the English at the end, all right? But you should not do that just for a certificate. You should do it so that you can have an impact on those around you. And if you miss the opportunity in this life to be a child of God and a Christian above all else, then you will also miss out on joy. And what I've got to get you to see before we look at these examples is that this is not something that is just qualified to a few people. This is something that God makes available to everybody when we choose to serve Him with our lives. So notice the first example. The first example is the example of Timothy. You see these in verses 19 through 23. Just as a reminder and just as some context, remember that this is right after Paul, if you'll recall back from last week, this is right after Paul said, if I die, I want you to be joyful. And if I don't get to see you, I want you to be joyful. And if you don't get to see me, I want you to be joyful. So how does he follow up that conversation? He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. So first of all, I want you to notice the plan. 
Paul said, I want to come see you, but if I die and you guys get to rejoice in my life and in my ministry, then here's my plan. I hope that I get to send Timothy to you. Well, why was that the plan? Let's look secondly at the problem. Why Timothy? He said in verse 20, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Today as I was reading this and um, I was reading a commentary along with it, the writer pointed this out that I thought was very interesting. We believe that Paul was writing this from prison in Rome. Rome is one of the places where there seem to be a lot of Christians. And the only reason we reference that is because when you go to the book of Romans, there's the, there's the most amount of Christians named of any other epistle. So you see some names show up in a lot of Paul's epistles. You see Timothy, you see Epaphroditus, you see uh, Onesimus, you see, all, you see a lot of other... Onesimus is Philemon. That's not, that wasn't Paul, okay? Um, you see other names, okay? I promise you, you do. I'm trying to think. Um, anyways, you see other names, okay? I promise you, you do. But in the book of Romans, you've got over, I think the, I think the writer said 16 names that were listed in the book of Romans, which is more than any other book. And out of the names that he listed, he can't find any of them to go to Philippi. Let that sink in. That he lists more Christians in that book than in any other book. And yet out of all of them, he can't find anybody to go and check on this church. Except for Timothy. And those two verses that where he says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Here's what he's basically saying. There's no one that I trust or that I know of that's going to do this the way that I think it should be done or the way that God should. Well, why is that? Because everybody is seeking their own and not God. Let me show you why that's a problem. Because if we want to do this thing called the Christian life for our own honor and for our own glory, and I want you to listen to this, then why did we need Jesus to save us? Let that sink in. Think about that for a second. That if we want to live the Christian life, or if we want to serve God for the medals, for the applause, for the appreciation, for the pat on the back, so that everybody says, hey, yeah, you're awesome, yeah, great job, yeah, yeah, yeah. If that is why we do it, why did we get saved? Because what we're basically saying is, God, I'm good enough to do the work but I'm not good enough to save myself, so I kind of need you to punch my ticket to heaven. And as long as you take care of that part, this whole ministry thing, I got it. And sometimes we have these visions of grandeur in our mind to where we're bigger than what we think. Well, I, I've, I'm the solution to God's problem. When he saved me, yeah, he got something special. When God says that he chooses to use and glorify and promote the least. And what Paul was saying about Timothy was this. He not only thinks like me, but he's thinking like Christ 
because he's not worried about himself. He's not worried about what he wants to get out of this. He's not worried if you guys have some big welcoming party for him when he shows up. Oh, wow, now we're saved. Now we'll grow in Christ because Timothy is here. Oh, great, Timothy, please tell us everything. That... Paul didn't even respond like that. And sometimes we are so guilty of saying, well, the ministry is about how much I can get out of it. And guess what? If I'm not getting the attention I think I deserve, then I'm done. And you are missing out on the greatest joy, and that is that you are bringing glory and honor to your heavenly Father and to your Creator, which, mind you, is the whole purpose that He placed you here. And when Paul diagnoses this problem with, with those that are around him, with others that are serving him, here's what he's wanting us to see, and here's what he's wanting us to really apply to our hearts and lives today is that if you are just here to seek out what is best for you and what will promote you and what will help you and what will look good on your resume or look good on Instagram or make you more appealing to, to those around you, if that is why you are involved, note this, you will not find joy in it. And the reason that people burn out and get frustrated at ministry is because they're doing it for the external applause more than they're doing it for the applause of Jesus Christ. If tomorrow, and I want you to hear this from my lips, if tomorrow I was not here, my wife was not here, whatever, your job as a child of God is to follow Jesus. Your job as a Christian is not to follow Joel Norse, is not to follow Lauren Norse, is not to follow a pastor or a ministry leader or someone that you like on Twitter or someone that you, someone that you like their podcast or that you like their... Your job is to follow Jesus Christ. And you need to make sure that you submit yourself to the learning and to the growing of someone who is making much of Jesus Christ, who is making much of God. Because if not, they're seeking their own. Guess what? For, for sake of illustration, this is a pretty good gig that we've got going on here, okay? that we get to sit in a room with 30 to 40 other young adults, that we get to go on a retreat and go ziplining, that we get to look at the book of Philippians while, while other people sit in the auditorium, and that we get to still have church while other people still aren't having church, okay? This is a pretty nice, nice cushy ministry. But guess what? If that goes away, your job is still to follow Christ. And the reason that Paul trusted Timothy... It's because he knew that Timothy wasn't there for the show. Timothy wasn't there to, to build Instagram followers, for lack of a better term. Oh, Timothy, you really need to build your online presence before you go to Philippi. No. Timothy was there to help other people follow Jesus Christ. And what did Paul say in, in 1 Thessalonians? Follow me as I what? Follow Christ. 
if the people that you are following are not making you follow Christ, then you've got it flip-flopped. So there's the plan, there's the problem, and then thirdly, there's the proof. Why did he feel so comfortable with Timothy? Look at verse number 22. He says, But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But ye know the proof of him. Did you know that Timothy did not get to leave with Paul immediately following his, um, his salvation and his conversion? That Paul did not pick Timothy up until his next time through? And could it have been that Paul was probably a pretty wise person and thought, hey, this guy got saved, he seems pretty anxious, pretty, pretty zealous, but let's give him some time. And now that Paul has invested some time and others have invested in Timothy, he says, ye know the proof of him, you're ready. He's ready. So here's the application for us from the life of Timothy. First of all, what are you seeking? And is it Christ above anything else? What are you seeking? And is it Christ above anything else? Secondly, and here's what I want you to think, think about. Is if there were a need in the cause of Christ, would your name come to anybody's mind? That, that's a very provoking thought that, honestly, I've wrestled with today. I'm not talking about pastoring a church, okay? Although some of you ladies could probably do it better than most men, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if there were a legitimate need in the body of Christ and in the cause of Christ, would someone think of you? I know that right now as a single person, sometimes it feels like you get burnt out with everybody who asks you to do everything, okay? Oh, they're single. They've got time, okay? And that can happen. Let's ask them to serve in the nursery. Let's ask them to teach Sunday school. Let's ask them, ask them to work in the nursery while teaching Sunday school, okay? That happens. But guess what? Instead of taking it as, duh, take it as a compliment. By the way, I don't know what uh means. I just couldn't think of a word, all right? I can't think of the opposite of compliment. But instead of thinking of it as something that is, oh man, another, that, take it as the, hey, my name popped into someone's head. Someone thought that I was qualified for this. Someone thought that I was willing. And are you going to have to say no sometimes? Yeah, you can't change diapers and run a game at the same time, okay? I understand that. But serving God, if it truly is something that brings us joy, and if it is truly not limited to a few, then let's look for opportunities to do it. And I think that it is a testimony of Timothy that when Paul said, I need to get someone to Philippi, but I don't have anybody because everyone else is worried about themselves and not Jesus Christ. But Timothy, he 
has helped me. I trust him. And when someone says, hey, this is an opportunity for you. Forget someone even asking you to do something here. Let's go a little bit deeper. When the Holy Spirit is looking for a void to fill in the cause of Christ, does your name come to mind? If there's a lost person that is on the verge of accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, does does Satan want them to cross your path? Because he knows that that person, they're not going to be bold. They're going to be quiet. Or is the Holy Spirit, oh, here it is. I know that this person, I can count on them. I can count on them to say what God wants them to say. I can count on them to be gracious. I can count on them to talk to someone. Because if joy comes from serving God, then we better be willing to do it and to do it the right way. So the example of Timothy, notice secondly, not only the example of Timothy, but the example of Paul. The example of Paul. This will be brief, but I want you to see this. He says, I want to send Timothy because I know that he thinks like me. I know that he thinks like Jesus Christ. I know that he will serve you well. He's proven himself. But in verse number 24, he says, But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Throughout this book, Paul says, I want to come see you. But I want you to notice that every single time he says that, he places it in the Lord's hands. And you will have some desires in this life. Hopefully you have desires for what you want to do for God. I want this to be a place. I want this to be a class. I want this to be a group that you just think to yourself, if only I could get to do this for God. Sometimes we're so good at building the American dream that we're terrible at building a dream for God. And most of us, if we're honest, we know what kind of house we want to live in when we get married. We know what kind of guy that we need to marry. We know what kind of girl we need to marry. We know what our dream job would be. We know what our next car is going to be. We know every single thing that has to do with this world. But if I asked you, or if someone asked you, what do you want to do for God in your life down here? Uh, uh, does a wraparound porch count? Does, does, what, does whatever, does this car count as doing something for God? We're normally really good at identifying everything we want out of this world, but we're normally really bad at saying, this is what I want to do for God. And you should have things that you want to do for God, for His honor and for His glory and to make an impact on others. But at the same time, your life should be trusted to God and His plan. Things change. Paul's plan changed very often. Read the book of Acts. Read some of his epistles. Read some of the things that he wrote to some other churches. His plan changed constantly. But it didn't keep him from saying, I want to do this. I think it would be good for you. I think it would be good for me. I think it would be glorifying to God. Every time he says, this is what I want, but I'm trusting God. Trust God with your plan. And then thirdly, 
is the example of Epaphroditus. This is found in verses 25 through 30, and we'll fly through these and be done. He says in verse number 25, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. There is so much in these verses. And can I just say that from the perspective that we are reading this, I don't think Epaphroditus was some great preacher. I don't know that he was a pastor. I think he was someone who was just sold out for God. And Paul says, I'm going to get Epaphroditus to you because it's going to make me happy. It's going to make God happy. And it's going to make you happy. And here's what I want you to see. Before we fly down through these points, here's the crux of the example of Epaphroditus. Is that he brought Paul joy. He brought God joy. And he brought joy to others. And if nothing else can be said about you and your life, wouldn't it be great if that was the three things that were said? Man, whenever I'm around so-and-so, I, I, I'm encouraged. I'm joyful. Man, I, I like spending time with that young lady or with that young man. They're an encouragement to me. They're someone that I look forward to talking to. They're someone that they help sharpen me. They help grow me. They make me better. And this is what Paul was saying. He said, we almost lost Epaphroditus because he was so spent for the ministry. He was so spent being a helper to me. In fact, he even says, one of the only criticisms he makes in this book is that Epaphroditus worked hard to make up for where you guys didn't. He says that in verse number 30. He says, to help with your lack of service. Epaphroditus served. He served God. He helped me. He was someone that ran alongside me because you guys didn't. And that's who he's sending. So what do we see in the example of Epaphroditus? First of all, we see his usefulness. We see his usefulness. Look at verse number 25. He goes through this huge list of what Epaphroditus is. He says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger. So he says, This is what he is to me, but now he's your messenger. He's my mouthpiece. When he gets there, you better listen to him the same way you were listening, you would listen to me. And then he goes back to his personal self and he says, and he that ministered to my wants. Remember, Paul's writing this from prison. Okay? So I don't know what Epaphroditus was doing. I don't know if he was bringing him cheesecake in jail or what was happening. Okay? 
but he was doing something that was helping Paul. And so he says, he's my fellow soldier, he's my companion in labor, he is someone that is ministering to what I want, to what is helping me. So I'm going to send him to you. So first of all, you see his usefulness. Secondly, you see his heaviness. Look at verse number 26. For he longed after you all. He longed after you all. That's some strong wording. That he wanted to get to these people. And was full of heaviness. Why? Because that, he, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was not sick, nigh unto death. So here's what Paul's saying. Remember, Let's remember how, like, news traveled at this point, okay? Paphroditus didn't make a Facebook post about going to the ER, please pray, with, like, little praying hands, okay? And all of Philippi was like, oh, we need to pray for Epaphroditus at prayer meeting tonight because he's at the ER. Okay, that's not how it worked. But somehow, someone was close enough to Epaphroditus and close enough to Paul to where, hey, I heard Epaphroditus got sick. Oh, so guess what? You might hear that someone got sick and go weeks and months without, like, are they okay? Like, Epaphroditus couldn't call the church office of Philippi, hey, just let you guys know, I got, I got out of the hospital, I'm good. Please send an email to prayer at philippibaptist.com to update us on your prayer request, okay? That's not how this worked. So they had heard that he was sick, and then it's like, is he good? Like, I don't know. Where are we at on the whole Epaphroditus thing? Oh, man, we prayed for him for three months and he died. Like, how, how are we supposed to know? He was taking up room on the prayer list. That's not how this worked, okay? So you can't read this like you're reading it in 2020. So he says, he heard that you, he knew that you, he heard that you guys had heard that he was sick. And he was sick. He was really sick. He almost died. But the good news is, you already heard I'm sending, to, sending him to you, so guess what? He's alive, okay? In fact, he might have even been the guy who brought the tube with the letter in it, because he says that he's the messenger. So they're probably reading it like, yeah, we know Epaphroditus is alive. He's standing right here. He brought the little tube with the letter in it, okay? But when he says that, he shows the heaviness and the heart of Epaphroditus. The even in the midst of serving someone else and helping someone else, Epaphroditus is worried about what that church is feeling. I don't want them to be worried about me. I want, I've got to go see them because I want them to know that I'm all right. I want them to know that I'm doing what God wants me to do. And here's what I want you to see is that sometimes in the midst of serving and in the midst of hard times, it's easy to make it about yourself, isn't it? That Epaphroditus had every right to say, Paul, no, I'm being a huge blessing to you right now, but I'm sick. Got to take some time, got to recuperate, got to go tell those guys at Philippi, I'm sick, but I'm good. But instead, what did he do? I'm going to keep serving, I'm going to keep doing my best, but I'm going to get back and I'm going to have a burden to be an encouragement to that church. So his usefulness, his heaviness, but then thirdly, his sickness. It says, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death, 
But God had mercy on him, not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I've heard it said before that the work of God, you serving in the work of God is like putting your finger in a pail of water. That as soon as you pull it out and it fills in, that shows you how useful you were. And that's true. But guess what? There are people around you that you can influence. That according to this, Paul said, I would have been pretty upset if God would have taken him to heaven. It would have been sorrow upon sorrow. So here's what I want to ask you out of this. And I want to ask you really two things. Who would miss you in the work of God if, if you were pulled away? Who would not grow as a result of you being removed? But now let me follow that question up with this. Who is not growing and not being impacted because of the way that you're not serving God? You see, the reason that Epaphroditus was going to be missed was because he was doing something. And when we choose to not serve God, here's what we're basically saying, is that my way, my plan, my things, according to verse number 21, I'm going to seek my own rather than the things of God. Here's what we're saying, is that, well, that is not important. Their lives, their growth is not important to me. And wouldn't it be nice in the work of God to know that if you were moved or, you, or something changed or you passed away, let's use Epaphroditus, okay, that you were missed? They weren't following you, but you had an impact on someone. You helped them. You changed them, okay? So his sickness and then uh, number four, his nearness. Look at verse number 28. He said, I sent him therefore the more carefully. I think that's a reference to his health. Like, oh, Epaphroditus, you feeling good? One week past, one week past, you're not contagious? All right, get on the road, get to Philippi. No, he says, I sent him the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. I think verse number 28 basically is this. I'm not sending you a burnt out, limping, tired, sick helper. I sent him, I was careful when I sent him, because you're going to be excited when you see how good of health he's in. You're going to be excited about what he's able to do. And then verse number 29, what's the result of that? Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. So he's getting ready to tell them, here's why you need to be excited about him showing up. And that is this, his willingness. His willingness. Why was Epaphroditus sick? What made him get so tired? What made him get so worn out? Look at verse number 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. How many of you remember some, uh, or maybe remember or you are currently in, some of those nights where you had a project due, or maybe you had a test to study for, or you had a big uh, exam coming up, and you spent all night getting ready for it. Anybody remember that? Some of you are like, yep, still living that, okay? 
How many of you, you ever remember maybe doing something that just required so much of your energy? Some of you, maybe at work or something like that. You remember something along those lines. It gets tiring, doesn't it? Sometimes the grind of those difficult things almost makes you feel like you're going to die, right? Man, you stay up and you study for exams, and you're up three, four nights in a row till three or four o'clock in the morning, and you're cramming. Maybe you're trying to get a project done. Maybe you're trying to get a paper turned in. You're trying to meet a deadline, and you're just pushing for that deadline. And you get to the other side of it, and you end up taking like a 14-hour nap. Like you wake up, it's like, what day is it? Right? Is it light, or is it dark, or is it both? And you have no clue what's going on. That's a really weird feeling, isn't it? Like, I, I will be very honest with you. I hate the way that that feels. For me, that week is We Love the Borough Week. You can ask my wife. Like, it's just, I come home and I'm a zombie. It's like the kids are, like, talking to me, and I feel like Charlie Brown's teacher. Like, they're, like, they're talking in Charlie Brown's teacher's voice. Like, and it's like, what are we doing? Where are we at? Like, am I still alive? Are we okay? Like, and... And there's times to where you just get zonked. And I can't tell you how many times that throughout We Love the Borough Week, I have like this emotional roller coaster. Because it's like, okay, we got to wake up at 3.30 in the morning to meet the donut person. And then go get the donuts to the other donut person to take the donuts to the people who are supposed to eat the donuts. Okay? And, and there's just a ton of logistics. And, it's, and it drives me crazy. But I can't tell you... I can tell you because it's been every year how many times I've just melted at the end of the week. When you pull around a turn, come into Case and Lane where we hold the block party, and you see 500 kids scattered out on a field. Remember the first year we did the block party? It was a disaster, okay? Most of you probably didn't know that. If you helped with that, thank you for your help. We needed all of it, okay? Because it was a disaster. We had no clue what we were doing. We had never done something like that before. We had definitely never done something off-site. We had definitely never set up a carnival in like three hours. And I just remember all, like we were calling people like, you need to get here. I don't care that you're in the hospital. Unhook the IV and get here, okay? Be an Epaphroditus for Pete's sake, okay? And I remember the first year we got there, there was something that ended up happening with the popcorn maker. And there was like three other things that weren't working. And so you've got all these line of these little kids like, is the popcorn working? It's like, no, the popcorn's not working. Is there popcorn in it? Okay, then it's not working. And so I remember it was like 30 minutes before, and I called the place that we had rented the popcorn maker from, and I said, Our pop your popcorn machine is broken. And they're like, well, we tested it before. It's like, well, it, it broke then from here to there, okay? And I said, if I can get it there in 15 minutes before you close, can you switch them out? And they're like, yeah, we can switch them out and see if it works. So I, I remember I just I pulled my truck onto the like, field that we have it at on Case and Lane. We threw it up in there, and I booked it over across town to try to swap them out. And so when I got there, it didn't work. <laughs> Proved them wrong. Um, and so they switched them out. And, I, and when I left, this is what's funny. When I left, we were like 15, 30 minutes from it starting, and there was like 10 people there. And it's like, well, this is going to be great. Every kid can have their own bounce house and 3,000 pounds of cotton candy and popcorn because no one's coming to this thing. So 
we had like wrapped 500 hot dogs or something crazy like that, which is very disgusting when you actually think about it. But just don't think about it. But I remember I left and I just remember thinking, I'm going to go get popcorn and I'm going to show up and we're going to be able to give the like a trash bag full of popcorn to every kid that's there because this is not going good. And I pulled around the corner. Case and Lane was packed full of traffic. I pulled around the, the turn where you can see Case and Lane Academy, and I saw cars parked in the grass. And I thought, there's no way that's for the block party. There's no way. And as I got there and saw 300 kids of chaos running around, I was like, that's for the block party. That is so cool. Like, this was supposed to be a flop. We were going to send 100 hot dogs home with every kid and feed them for the rest of the year. That's, what, that's how this was looking like it was going to go. And I just remember I pulled around, and I had that stupid popcorn machine in the back, and I just lost it. Like, you've got to be, this worked. Like, this, this is actually working right now. Same thing. I, every year I pull on the property for Harvest Festival. Harvest Festival is one of those things to where it's like no one's here 10, minute bef 10 minutes before and you go to get a trash can and there's 2,100 people in line. It's like, holy cow, where'd they all come from? And every year I've walked on a property and I just lose it. And here's why. is because you can kill yourself for a lot of really good things. But would to God, <laughs> scared the willies out. I wish I was telling a scary story right then. But would to God, at some point in our lives, we would be able to say, I have spent myself for God. I have spent myself for Jesus Christ. I have served him with all I've got and then get to see what God has done as a result of it. And here's what I want you to see out of this, is that he was literally willing to put his life on the line for Jesus Christ. And how many times do we put our lives, maybe not our lives, but at least our well-being and our health, on the line for far less And when you step back and you look at your life, here's what you have to answer. Am I seeking my own or am I seeking the things of Jesus Christ? And the reason that Paul gave us these examples of Timothy himself and Epaphroditus is because they're all examples of people who sought the things of Jesus Christ more than they sought their own. And you want to make an impact? You want to do something that will last for eternity? You want to find joy? Here's how. Serve Jesus. Give your life to it. I'm not saying that you have to go out and get on the payroll of a church. But give your life to Christ above anything else. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, Feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.